Hi, I'm Lori, and I want to welcome you to the Awakening Moments podcast. And I'm Rhonda. Lori and I are pastors here in Ottawa, Canada, and we're both wives, moms, and most importantly, daughters and servants of God. And it's our hope and prayer that you would have awakening moments with us as we wrestle through the hard things in life. Lori and I love that we can share our lives with you, so grab your tea or coffee and let's awaken our hearts together. Wow. How do you even follow that? Come on. <laughs> I'm not that funny, just so you know. <sighs> well, it's so good to be here. I am here all the way from Abbotsford, British Columbia. So, yeah, I flew. I caught a flight at 6 a.m. yesterday morning. Uh, but I made it, and we had a great uh, first part, like first conference. And now look at this room. Come on. This is awesome. It's so good to be here. Um, so a little bit about me. My husband and I uh, pastor a church together in Abbotsford. We've been doing that for the last three and a half years. My husband's name is Clark. He's pretty awesome. Um, I don't know what else to say about that, so moving on. Uh, my, I also have a three-and-a-half-year-old son, and uh, you'll find out a little bit more about him, but he's probably the cutest kid on the planet. Like, yeah, is that true? Yeah, he's, he's pretty cute. Um, in August 2018, we boarded a plane from Vancouver, my husband and I, we uh, had been at that point like three years into an adoption journey. And uh, we, you know, did all the application and the home studies and all the back work. And with international adoption, uh, you have to kind of wait to be like matched with the right kid. And then you do more paperwork and then you get to fly overseas and meet them. And on August 1st, 2018, we boarded a plane in Vancouver and headed for Nigeria to meet our son for the first time. And... We were so excited. I remember right before we left, it was funny, we, we had planned to be gone for about like two to four weeks, and then uh, we met with our adoption agency, and they said like, oh, it'll probably be more like four to six weeks, you know, it could possibly be up to eight weeks, and we were like, oh no, how do we like have this conversation with our church board and tell them that we might need to be gone for like six or eight weeks from the church, because like both of us being gone like felt like, you know, like a big deal for both of us to be gone, and so we were like, okay, but you know what, it's it's like for our son and we, we can just do it. Like we can figure out a way to be gone for uh, maybe like six or eight weeks. And so we sat down with our staff and we sat down with our leadership team and we came up with this like worst case scenario plan if we were gone for eight weeks. <laughs> we traveled to Nigeria and a couple days later we met a little boy for the first time, a little two-year-old boy at the time. And... Uh, it didn't, it went right away, it was like, it was challenging. He's been through probably more trauma in his short little life than many people experience in their whole lives. And so it took him a while to open up and to trust us and, you know, to get familiar with us. And so we just spent a lot of time just like holding him and playing with him and just singing over him and praying and uh, trying to figure out how we were going to get through the next few weeks and years. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's funny, like, I, there, was, there was a time when we were there in Nigeria, and I just, like, looked around, and our, like, little family is sitting there together. And I was like, man, this is, like, this is my life. Like, how beautiful is it, God, that you've knit this family together, that you've, like, I remember on his, like, the day that his adoption was finalized in Nigeria, just feeling like, oh, like, God, you've done this. Like, he's our son, like, this is, this is my family. And it just felt like, like life just felt so beautiful, you know? <laughs> you ever have those moments where you just, like, look around at your life and you're like, man, this is so beautiful. God, you're so good. And that's exactly how I felt. I felt like, man, what a beautiful life God has built. It's everything I hoped it to be. And here I was, this beautiful exterior on the outside. Like, you know, things were going well at home. Things were good. We loved our church. Or things are going great in our family. We now have this new little son. I feel like, you know, I finally, you know, in my 30s, finally got my stuff together. 
you know? Like, I feel like in your 20s, you're trying to just, like, figure out who you are a little bit. In your 30s, you finally, like, catch your stride a bit, and you get a little bit more confident. And I just felt like things were good. I had this, like, beautiful exterior on the outside where I was like, okay, this is who I am. Like, I'm Kim Moran. I accomplish things. I am strong. I solve problems. Like, I move forward, right? You ever, have you ever just felt like, okay, I got it? No? <laughs> I felt like life was so good. And I realized, like, on this outside, this beautiful exterior, this is what everyone sees me. And it was the image that I, like, ideally I would like to put forward. Like, how many of you would like to look like you have it all together most days? <laughs> literally, I have to just, like, a moment of honesty. Right before we came out here, it's, like, literally, like, 7 and uh, I just like quickly went to use the washroom and I haven't I guess I haven't looked in the mirror all day and I just like was washing my hands and I looked up in the mirror and I was like huh like oh no <laughs> and uh, I realized like I, I'm, I'm staying at a hotel and I didn't bring anything with me to make myself look better and I was like oh no like what am I supposed to do I was like trying to like fluff up my hair because listen this, this is not the image that I would like to put forward all the time like I would like you to think that I have it all together that I've figured things out that I never forget to, you know, (laughs) that's what I would like you to think anyway, because like who doesn't want to feel like they've got it figured out and they've got it put together, that life is beautiful, that life is good. See, it was the life that I built, the image that I was presenting to the world. We'd come, we'd post it all on social media, like look at our family, things are great. In Mark chapter 14, verse 3, It says this, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who had previously had leprosy. While he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar. And I read these words and I was like, yeah, like this woman walks in, Jesus is having dinner with people and this man This man, Simon's house, who previously had leprosy, so likely we can conclude that Jesus probably healed him. And it was probably just this powerful time of reflecting on who Jesus was and all the things they did. And they're having deep conversations and they're enjoying dinner together. And it says this woman walks in with this beautiful alabaster jar. Let me just stop there for a minute. Like this jar that she has, this alabaster jar, this like beautiful translucent like soft stone jar that came from Egypt. This like absolutely lovely, beautiful piece. And and, and she walks in and she's holding this beautiful jar. And I read this story and I was like, man, that jar, I feel like that represents what I would like to present to the world. Like I feel like when I walk into the room, I want people to be like, Okay, she's not a total train wreck. (laughs) Or look at that beautiful life. Look at that wonderful life they built together. Oh, isn't it something? You have the cutest kid in the universe. Isn't that so great? And the most well-behaved, I'm sure. But you want to present this like she walks in with this beautiful jar. And that's what the author says about it. It says she walks in with a beautiful alabaster jar. I wonder in her home where that sat what that was a reminder of for her. What that alabaster jar represented for her and her life. What that alabaster jar, this like beautiful piece of art, this beautiful vessel represented for her. Here she was with her beautiful exterior, walking in in the presence of Jesus. And I felt like in my life, in this season, after we adopted our son, I felt the same thing that like, God, look at me. Like, look at what I have. Look at what I've done. Look at who I am, presented it to God. We finally finished the adoption and everything kind of like came together in Nigeria. And we got all the final stamps of approval from the Nigerian government to say that we could bring our son back to Canada. And so we got this letter that said he's now free to leave the country with you. Uh, You can take him back to Canada or wherever you please. They they stamped it. We got a passport for him with his full name, Ayomide Akin Moran, uh, in his passport with his cute little passport picture and we were like we were ready to go and so we boarded a plane and and our final stop before we could come back to Canada we just had to make one quick little pit stop in Ghana on the way back to Canada 
So everything's done, all the paperwork's finished, but the Canadian government now needs to put their stamp of approval on it. So we began the citizenship process before we left, but the second part of his citizenship had to be finished. And so we stop over, we board the plane. It's our first, you know, big plane ride as a family. He's leaving Nigeria for the first time in his life. We're so excited to go back to Canada together, and we stop in Ghana. Now, we figured, like, for some people, this process only takes, it's like a 24-hour process. For other people, it takes three days, maybe seven days. If things get kind of complicated, it couldn't take 14 days. Um, and so my husband had to come back for work, and he was a part of a big golf tournament, and he needed to be there for that. So I was like, listen, you go. We'll be right behind you. And so Ao and I got together. We're in this little, like, hotel room, and uh, we say goodbye to Clark and bye, Dad. Like, we'll see you in Canada really soon. And he left, and he came back to Canada. And I just was waiting for an email. And so I would like pick up my phone every single day and refresh it. And I was like, come on, like, is there an email yet? Is there an email yet? And a day passed by and I was like, okay, yeah. Like we were praying and believing it would happen really fast. But I was like, okay. But then by the week mark, I was like, oh God, we were praying that this would like happen really quickly. What's going on? (laughs) And then the two week mark came. And then no one would answer my phone calls or return my emails. And the three week mark came. And the four week mark came. And the five-week mark came, and all of a sudden we were like, what's going on? What's happening here? A little bit of time passed by, and now we're like maybe two months in Ghana, and I found myself in the hospital. I, like a really long story short, both my hands and both my feet went completely numb and half my face went paralyzed, and I was lying in a hospital room without my son. (laughs) He was staying with people I barely knew. And I was in so much pain, literally, they had to to give me a shot for the pain in my butt, and it made me vomit for 24 hours straight. (laughs) It was awesome, it was really awesome. But I got to ride in an ambulance, I'd never done that before, so that was fun, in Africa. And I'm lying here in this hospital bed, and I was like, what is happening? Like, what am I supposed to do now? And everybody was trying to figure out what was going on and what was wrong with me. And uh, a few years earlier, I had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So they assumed that I was having some kind of a relapse, and there was something going on there, and that's what was happening. And they did everything that they could to try and help me, but eventually they just said to me, Kim, you, you need to go back to Canada to get the medical attention you need. We can't do anything more for you here. So they said, you need to book a flight immediately. And we were like, okay. So we got in touch with the embassy, and we were talking to people at Foreign Affairs here, and we were just trying to make it work out so that AO could at least get, like, if they couldn't do his citizenship right away, just give him, like, a temporary visa so he could at least just come home with me because we didn't have anywhere to leave him. We didn't know what to do. So we were waiting, and they were just trying to, on the phone, trying to work things out. And they said, sorry, you're not going to be able to take him with you. And I was like, what am I supposed to do? I knew I needed to come home. (laughs) Like, I knew that I needed to come back, but they weren't going to let him come with me. And so Clark jumped on a plane as fast as he could, and he came out, and we had, like, literally, like, 12 hours together where he, like, literally had never seen me in the shape that I was in before. And instead of him accompanying me back to Canada and being with me during my recovery, I had to say goodbye to him and our son at the airport in Africa. And I came back to Canada alone in a wheelchair, (laughs) with a droopy face, (laughs) feeling like my heart had been ripped out of my chest, (laughs) like I was broken, like everything that I believed about myself felt like it was shattered. My beautiful jar exterior, (laughs) my beautiful alabaster jar, broken. And strong Kim was weak. Kim, the problem solver, couldn't figure out how to solve her problem. Kim, with stable emotions, now a complete emotional wreck. Like, I remember when my plane was coming in, I got to fly first class. Did I mention that? I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't sit up, like I couldn't hold my body weight up well enough because I was so weak and frail after my time in the hospital there that I had to fi- fly first class because, oh, my medical insurance had expired and I didn't know. Yeah, right? 
It's like this is like kick you while you're down. Uh, I found out while I was lying in the hospital bed, I was like, hello. <laughs> like, we're sorry, your insurance actually expired a couple of weeks ago. But I, it was just a lot. We never thought we'd be there that long. So I, it was the last thing on my mind. So anyway, I, they told us I, I needed to try and get a first class ticket to fly home. I was super excited. about. I'd never flown first class in my life. Um, so I was like, this is amazing. I get a full bed to lay down. I get my own TV. They serve me meals on dishes. <laughs> like, this is, this is beautiful. And I slept through the whole thing. I didn't get to like, I seriously didn't, I didn't eat a single bite of food or watch a single movie, but I did take advantage of the bed, so that was nice. Anyway, I'm, I'm that's, that, I sidetracked. <laughs> Stay focused, Kim. Okay. <laughs> We're flying into the Vancouver airport, and uh, I just, like, look out, and I can see the mountains, and I see the ocean, and I realize I'm home. Like, after four months, I was finally home. I'd been, like, waiting for this moment, but then I realized that this is not at all what I pictured. Like, A.O. and Clark were supposed to be with me. I wasn't supposed to be by myself. Like, I wasn't supposed to come home week where somebody had to meet me at the gate and help me get into a wheelchair so that they could push me through the airport just so that I could get home. Like, I was so weak, and I was so broken, and I was so afraid, and I I felt like my emotions were a wreck. Everything that I was, all that I am, just felt like it had been shattered. And here I was, once, at least in my eyes, some kind of beautiful exterior, now a broken vessel. Mark 14, 3 says, while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and poured the perfume over his head. See, this woman comes in and she walks in with this like beautiful jar. That's all she'd ever seen. Because the jar would have been sealed. They would, it would have been completely sealed all the way around because it's contents. Like, like the author says that it was like, a little later, we're going to read that in a second, says it was worth the equivalent of a year's wages. Now, this isn't like a direct, like, um, the, what's it called, exchange of money. Like, this isn't directly like what it would be worth in Canadian dollars. But just so you know, like, in our society, like in Canada, Statistics Canada says the average income for a person is $952 a week, which is just under $50,000 a year. So if this was to happen in Canada in the year 2020, it would be as if she was now breaking open this beautiful bottle and pouring the equivalent of $50,000 over Jesus' head. Anybody, any of you ready to do that this weekend? <laughs> But at this point, like because the perfume was so expensive, and I mean, maybe she had a bit of wealth and it had been something that she saved up and bought, or it could have been something that was passed down over the the years as as like an heirloom to be passed down. But this beautiful perfume, she'd never seen what was inside before. She'd only ever admired its beautiful exterior. She'd never like, she wasn't smelling it in her home because it was a sealed bottle that she didn't really have access to at this point. It was just this beautiful jar of perfume. But now she comes in and it says she broke the jar and poured the perfume over his head. But this is the thing. She realized that the jar wasn't the prize. Like as beautiful as alabaster is and expensive and as, and, and as nice and ornate a bottle as it was, that wasn't the real prize. The real expense, the real prize, the really valuable part was the perfume that was inside of it. And that's what she knew that she needed to present to Jesus. And so she breaks the jar in order to pour it out. The perfume that was inside was likely meant to be poured after somebody was buried, to be poured over their dead body. She anoints Jesus before he goes to the cross, before he's betrayed, before his death. She anoints him for that ahead of time. And Jesus recognized that and called it out. We have to understand for her to break this bottle and pour the whole thing out, that smell would have filled the room. Like every part of that room would have been completely filled with this beautiful scent of perfume that would have like risen from that place of the broken bottle. Like it had to be strong enough to overcome the stench of a dead body. Because the, the Jews didn't believe, like, like the Egyptians would embalm the bodies before they would bury them, but the Jews didn't believe in that. So they would go and they would just take the dead body, wrap it up a bit, stick it in a cave and pour a bunch of perfume and spices over top and hope that that would overpower the stench. Okay? 
And so this is what likely this perfume was meant for. This is what she was saving it for. And all of a sudden, she breaks this jar, she pours it out, and it fills the fragrance of it, fills the room. See, the outer shell that held the real treasure was broken and useless. The real prize was the perfume. In order sometimes to get to the perfume, though, we have to break off that beautiful exterior. I feel like we've been singing songs about this all night. We've been leading up to this point is that what God really wants is that, that innermost depth of the, the innermost parts of you. He doesn't want this presentation that you can present to him where you've ticked all your boxes and you've done all the right things and like, okay, I've come to church and I didn't forget to make myself look presentable. Jesus, look at me. <laughs> like he doesn't want, you know, I, okay, I've, I've served. I've done all the things I need to do. I've checked all the boxes. I've tried to be obedient. I've done like, like he doesn't want the, what we try and present so that we convince ourselves that we've got it together. Like that's not what he wants from us. He wants the broken parts. Like he wants us to break that off and to pour out what we have left over him, over his head so that it drips all the way down him and falls at his feet. Like that's what he desires from us. And I realize that for so much of my life I've been trying to do all the right things and say all the right things and be all the right things. That I've been trying to check all the boxes of like, okay, am I doing this right? Am I doing that right? God, are you pleased with me? God, will you say well done to me at the end of my life? And I realize that that's not what God wants from me at all. What he really wants is for me to come to him when I get off that plane, wheeled off that plane, and my heart is broken, and I feel shattered, and I feel afraid, and I'm not really sure what the future looks like. That's what he wants. He wants me to come to him and fall at his feet and pour out all of those inner parts of me as like a beautiful fragrance that fills the room to say, God, I don't know what to do here. I don't know if I have the answers. I don't know what it is that you're looking for from me. I don't know. Strong Kim, not here anymore. Kim that has it all figured out, not here anymore. Kim that thinks she has all the answers to all the things to do, she's not here anymore. But God, will you take whatever's left? That perfume that's inside of me, would it rise up somehow like a fragrance to you? Because it's all I have. I felt so broken and I felt so weak. A few months later, about six or eight weeks later, after I came home from Canada sick, I tried to get as strong as I could and then Clark and I needed to switch places again. I had to go back. Because we found out just a few days before Christmas, we got a letter from the government. We'd been waiting for that email. We finally get an email and open it, and it says, sorry, we're denying his citizenship. You can't bring him home. And we were, like, dumbfounded because we knew, like, honestly, like, doing an ethical adoption and having everything done right and making sure the process was done properly, that, that we weren't, like, skipping anything or doing anything sexually was so important to us through the process. Like, we knew everything was done properly. And so when they came back and they said, we're denying it, we're like, we did everything we were supposed to do. What on earth is going on? We had to hire a lawyer and we began, honestly, the fight of our lives. <laughs> the fight of our lives to try and fight to bring our son home to Canada. And it was like, like it was hard. Like we eventually found out that there was like evidence fabricated against us and we spent like the better part of the next few months trying to prove that we were not involved in child trafficking, that we did not lie to officials, that we were actually who we said we were, that did what we wanted to do. It was like, it was a nightmare. It was an absolute nightmare. And our lawyer prepared us. He said, I just want you to know, like, for them to deny his citizenship, he's like, we have a certain amount of days to write, uh, like, to respond back. But then we got an update saying that it was in, like, some kind of litigation. And he's like, that doesn't happen. Like, they don't send it back there unless they're getting ready to say no to you for good. And so our lawyer was preparing us that this could be, like, a three. He's like, we'll fight it, but it could be three two, three, four years, like I don't know how long it's going to take, like there are processes for us to appeal this and fight it, but like you might need to be prepared that this is going to take a while, and Clark and I had to make a decision, are we just going to leave him there and come home and try and leave him in the care of someone else, and then when this is all done, maybe we can go pick him up, or do we like stick this thing out and, and figure out a way to live separately, or do we move to Africa? <laughs> We eventually, once we realized that it could be a couple years before we came home, we ended up, we had really good friends who lived in the Middle East, and they said, if you want, you can come and stay with us, and at least then we didn't have to pay to stay in an apartment. 
ourselves. And we also were pretty lonely and broken at that point. And so having some people around us who were just good people made a difference. And so we ended up moving our family. This is a miraculous story of how we ended up going to Dubai, got a visa for him to get into Jordan, and we ended up living in Jordan for a few months. And I was there, and uh, like we're into like May, June now. And you ought to understand, like when I say I was broken, I like I want to read you something that I wrote. I'm just warning you, this is like the worst psalm you've ever heard, okay? <laughs> it says, Tuesday, June 4th, 2019. I hate my life. That's the opening line. How many of you feel encouraged tonight? <laughs> Amen. No? No? <laughs> I hate my life. It kills me to even admit it, but I do. This is so far from what I thought my life would look like. I feel like I don't have a home. I feel like I don't have a family. I feel like I don't have a job. All the, thi- all the things I love about my life feel so, so far away. I feel like a fragment of who I used to be. I'm weary. I'm broken. I'm lonely. I cry out with the most desperate prayers for God to intervene, but nothing. Absolutely nothing. I'm at the end of my rope. I can't do it anymore. I'm just so done, and my soul, no matter how much I try to care for it, is weak and broken. I'm weak and broken. God, do it now, finally. I'm literally begging. Like when I say that I was broken, <laughs> like, and you got to know, like, I'm a, like, fairly optimistic person. And, like, just believing that, like, you know, he's the way maker. <laughs> not that day, okay? <laughs> that didn't change. I'm not saying God wasn't that that day. I just didn't feel it. <laughs> But I'm usually like believing for breakthrough, believing for what? But it had literally been, we're like, like at this, like the 10 and a half mark, like 10 and a half month mark at this point. And I felt so desperate. It felt like there was no end. And I was like, is this what I signed up for? Like, is this what my life is going to have to look like? I literally felt like I was a complete wreck. And finally, it came time for Clark and I to switch places again. <laughs> And he was coming back, and we were about to celebrate our anniversary. And so we decided that, like, hey, let's try and make the best of what felt like a bad situation and try and have these little moments of joy in the midst of our pain. And so because we were in Jordan, and Jordan uh, borders the Dead Sea, we were like, let's go to, there's this little hotel, this nice little hotel by the Dead Sea. Let's try and spend a couple days there as a family and just try and forget about everything going on. And so we took a really sketchy cab ride uh, out to the Dead Sea. <laughs> and, um, and we just had a couple days there together as a family where we just tried to, like, forget about the world and just enjoy being there together. And uh, while we were there, I, I was just like a habit, right? Like, to just, like, I, I would just go to my email app. And, when we, like, when we finally came home, I actually had to move my app because I realized it was just, like, a muscle habit to go and, like, refresh my email just, like, literally, like, 50 times a day to see if we got anything. I remember one night after dinner, I just went and I, I sat down on the balcony and I was looking out over the Dead Sea and right beyond the Dead Sea was Israel, like the promised land, literally right over there. And I'm just feeling like, okay, like God, thanks for these like few little moments of just retreat away from it all to be together. And I just like refreshed my email just out of like habit and an email popped up from immigration and I was like, oh, my stomach just like like my heart was literally like, oh, I was like, oh no, I can't handle this today. I don't like, I just want a couple days to just like enjoy being together as a family. And I like opened the email and I just like braced myself and I just read the words, please find attached a letter granting citizenship to Ayumide Akin Moran. I was like, what? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Like, is this what I think it is? And I'm like sitting out on this little balcony, and Clark and Ayo were inside just playing around on the bed. Like, Clark hadn't seen him in a couple months, and so they're just like bonding. I was giving them their space and having some sanity. Um, <laughs> and I was just like, totally like, I was, oh my gosh. And here's exactly what happened. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. I'm just going into the room right now, okay? This is the balcony. 
Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm now in the hotel room. Oh my gosh, Clark, Clark, that's my husband's name. Clark, 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 and I'm like shaking at this point, like screaming his name, crying his name. Clark, 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 and he's like, what, what's wrong, what's wrong, what happened, what happened, and I was like, Clark, 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 and he's like, what's wrong? Like, what's happening? What's going on? And I was like, Clark, it's, it's over. It's over. And he's like, what's over? And I was like, it's done. It's finished. He's like, what's finished? <laughs> I was like, Clark, it's over. We can go home. And he was like, what? He's like, are you serious? And I was like, I just got an email. He's like, is that what it says? Like, it's over? And I was like, I don't know. I haven't read the whole thing. <laughs> Because it said there was a letter attached, but that's all I saw. I didn't read the letter. <laughs> I, I don't know. And then I like stopped, and I just was like trying to not hyperventilate, and I read through the letter, and it, it was over. They said that we could come home. And so we went. Uh, that was like a Thursday night, and that's the beginning of the weekend uh, in the Middle East. Uh, like their weekend is Friday, Saturday, and so the embassy opened back up on Sunday. And so we went there on Sunday morning, and we went to the embassy, just so excited to just get that final like paperwork, get his Canadian passport, and bring him home. And we got there, and they said, "Okay, well, you need to make an appointment with someone. You can make an appointment in two to three weeks, and then it'll take a couple weeks for you to get your passport." I was like, you've, "Like you've got to be kidding me! You've got to be kidding me!" And I just obviously started crying because I'm an emotional mess at this point. Like I honestly. I don't think it's a healthy thing that I do this, but I like pride myself on like being able to contain my emotions out the window, like completely. <laughs> like Clark, they said it's gonna be a couple of weeks. So they will let us go. Like, do you have any idea how long we've been? And she was like, "Ma'am, do you want to make an appointment?" <laughs> I want to make an appointment. Thank you. Like, I don't want to make an appointment. <laughs> And I said, like, at that point, we kind of, like, tried everything. Like, literally, like, I'm not kidding. We had tried. People are like, well, did you try this to try and get home? Are you, like, sending suggestions on Facebook all the time? Like, have you tried this? I'm like, literally, we have tried everything. And one of the things, like, we had tried to get, like, a different kind of visa just to be able to get him home for medical care and, like, a few different things. And so they actually had a, his Nigerian passport at the embassy. And I said, well, can we at least pick up his Nigerian passport then? Like, can you at least give that to me and I can take that home? And... Uh, and they were like, yeah, we'll, we'll see if we can get that for you. And so we sat down, and a couple minutes later, someone came out, and they said, hey, they just want to talk to you inside. Can you come in? I was like, all of us? Or they, yeah, I'll go in. And we, like, came into this room where there's, like, all these people in, like, a waiting room area, and they were, like, right into this door, please. And we, like, went into what looked like an interrogation chamber. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> like, here, too? Do they really think we're trying to steal this kid? Like, what's happening? And we sat down at this desk, uh, and on the other side of it was the head of the immigration for the Amman Jordan office and her little sidekick. And uh, they, uh, they just, like, looked at us, and she just said to us, um, like, Kimberly and Clark, I'm familiar with your case. I'm familiar with your story. And I actually used to work in the office that you've been dealing with. And it, that was kind of just, like, a weird uh, thing that ended up being really good for us in the end and she said I understand that you just got granted citizenship and you need to get the papers to go home and I was like yeah I know like they told us it was gonna take like a few weeks and like it's just been so long and we're so tired and we're we just want to go home and she's like I know like I know this has been hard for you and she's like, listen, I'm going to try, and instead of just waiting for his Canadian passport, I'm just going to try and put a, a temporary visa, uh, a facilitation visa in his Nigerian passport so that you can just bring him home on that. And I was like, oh, that would be so amazing. How long will that take? And she's like, uh, can you come back at 1 o'clock? And I was like, like today at 1 o'clock? <laughs> she's like, yeah, today at 1 o'clock. I'm like, okay. And then what? And she's like, well, then you can take him home. And I was like, okay, so today at 1 o'clock, you're going to give us the paper. Clark actually said to me, he's like, do you realize you asked her like five times if that was the truth? And I was like, I just wanted to make sure like that was happening. And uh, yeah, she said to us, and I was like, well, when can we leave then once we have that? She's like, well, she's like, there is a direct flight to Montreal tonight if you want to try and get on that. So we literally left the embassy, went directly to the airport, booked the flight, went back to our friend's house, packed our bags, and went back to the airport and had a direct flight back to Montreal. We landed in Montreal. They didn't even look at his passport when we went through security. I was like, look at that thing. We have been waiting for 11 and a half months. Look at that passport. 
And we just like breezed right through without a problem. Like it almost felt like we were like did something wrong. I was like, like what are we? What's happening? Anyway, my brother or my brother, my husband's. Um, <laughs> My husband's family lives in Brockville, and uh, so we landed in Montreal. We rented a car, and we drove to Brockville and surprised Clark's parents. They had no idea we were back in Canada. Drove a little bit further down to Port Hope, which is my hometown where I'm from, and surprised my parents there. They had no idea that we were back, and then made the journey back to Abbotsford and, and began to surprise all our family and friends, and we were finally home. We are finally home. We walked through the doors of our like little condo that was just like so precious to us. And we walked through an Aosaw's bedroom for the first time. And he met our dog for the first time. And uh, it was just like, okay, it's over. It's over. But then I got to tell you, like, I knew I was supposed to feel like happy and joyful and relieved. And people kept saying to me, you must be so happy to be home. And I was. I was so, so grateful. But I realized that I was still so broken and wounded. Like, I was still, like, I, I, I just, I felt like, like this little fragment of myself. And I knew that I, like, should feel better and I should, but I just didn't. And I remember trying to explain to my sister-in-law, Allison, I was like, this is the only way that I can describe it. I literally feel like somebody came into our, our condo, I came into our house, and they tied me up, and they just completely ruined the whole thing. They, like smashed the windows and they broke the TV and they ripped the drawers all out and they like spray painted on the walls and they ripped up our pillows and like I honestly like that like that I felt like that's what, what had happened and I felt like I had been set free like I wasn't tied up anymore like I got free but I was still like sitting in the middle of this like house that was in shambles and I just felt so broken and alone and I remember just like calling out to God and saying God just put me back together God can you just put my broken pieces back together God God can you just do something like can you just fix me like I just I feel like a like this just small piece of who I used to be and like I want to be strong again and I, I want to you know be able to move forward and I want to be able to like do things and I, I want to feel weak and I don't want to feel broken and I don't want to feel shattered I kept praying, God, put me back together. And Allison said to me, she's like, Kim, well, maybe you just need to, like, you know, you feel like your life has been totally ransacked. Maybe you just need to start one piece at a time. Like, just go and sew your pillow back up, like metaphorically, right? Just go and wash your, well, I actually do need to sew my pillow, but that's another story. Just wash your walls. Just, like, begin to, like, just one step at a time, put it back together. And I was like, Allison, I don't know where to start. Like, I'm literally, like, like just sitting here looking around and I literally feel like my whole life has fallen apart around me. Like everything that was good in my life now feels like it has fallen apart. I feel like just the toll that the last year took on us and my relationships and even our role at the church and just everything around me. Like I literally felt like everything was in shambles and I was like, I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to pick up first. And she just looked at me and she said, well, what if God doesn't want you to put it back together? What if God wants to make you into to something totally new? Well, I've really liked my life before. <laughs> right? Like my alabaster jar was beautiful. My alabaster jar was like exactly what I wanted it to be. <laughs> it's unbroken. It was perfect. It was just like... Not like, don't hear what I'm not saying. I did not think I was perfect, but it was just, I had built the life that I wanted. You know what I'm saying? I, I built the life that I had built the life I wanted. And I wanted that back. Like I wanted those broken pieces to be put back together. But when she said, what if God wants to make you into something totally new? I was like, is that what God wants to do? And so I obviously uh, turned to the Bible because what, what was the Bible going to tell me about what I should do next? Like I needed to figure it out in there. And I started to flip through and I was like, no, God wants to put me back together, Alice, and look. Psalm 34, 18 says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And I was like, oh, that doesn't say, though, that he's going to put me back together. It says he's near to me when I feel brokenhearted. Okay. 
Psalm 51:17 says, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, you will not despise." And I was like, "Wait a second. So God doesn't want to put my broken pieces back together. He wants me to bring my brokenness to him. Ugh. It's not turning out the way I planned. <laughs> Second Corinthians 12:9 says, "My power is made perfect in your weakness." It's not what I wanted. Because in my mind, that beautiful jar, that beautiful jar is the life that I built. That was was what I wanted. That was what, like, those broken pieces that were on the ground. Now I'm sitting here trying to, like, put the broken pieces back on top. Have you ever broken something that was really important to you? And you're just like, no, you're, like, trying to figure out, can I glue it back together? Can Can I figure out a way to put these pieces back? Can this be fixed? Can this be restored? Can it be redeemed? And I'm down here with the jar trying to put the jar back together. And I realize that God doesn't want me spending my time on the jar. He wants the perfume. And here I was so preoccupied with the jar that was broken on the floor, trying to put the pieces back together that I wasn't even thinking about what the contents were and what God wanted me to do with those. I was worried about the jar and I was worried about the brokenness and I was worried about the fragments of my life that were on the ground when really all God wants to me wants from me is to bring my brokenness to him. To bring what's left in me, to bring that life, to bring those fragments and to just say like, okay, there, there it is, God, but what I have left in me, what I have left inside of me, that's where the real value is. That's where the real perfume is and I'm going to pour that out over you and I'm not going to stop and I'm going to give you everything that I am and I'm going to give you whatever's left of inside me. And it was through that that he does something beautiful. See, when we focus on the broken pieces of, alab- of alabaster, we miss the point. The jar, while beautiful in and of itself, is not the real prize. God wants something deeper for you. Here I was, once a beautiful exterior, now a broken vessel, but now believing for a bigger purpose. Mark 14.4 says, some of those at the table were indignant. Why waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. In that tone, I'm sure. (laughs) Leave her alone. (laughs) Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you. You can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. I mean, yeah, in disgust. See, breaking the jar was pointless unless the purpose of its contents were used. Like, she didn't just break the jar just to pour it out. Like, the brokenness of my life wasn't just broken for to be broken, just so that I could be exposed and vulnerable and everyone could be like, ha, I knew it, she didn't have it together. <laughs> right? Like the purpose of the the reason why she breaks this jar and pours the oil out is because there's a bigger purpose to what she's doing. She realizes that she's there to anoint the king of kings, the king of the Jews, like the, the, the God, her Messiah. She's there to anoint him and to communicate to him. I imagine that she went into her house and said, what's the most expensive thing I have? Jesus has changed my life. He's transformed me. He's set me free. What do I have that I can give him? And imagine her walking through her house and looking up and down. Okay, oh, can I give him that? That still has a price tag on it. He might think I bought it for him. I don't know. Like, what do I, what can I have that I can give? And finding this beautiful alabaster jar, but instead, it, like, it, she, she brings it and she brings it to Jesus and she breaks it open and she pours the whole thing out on him because she just wanted to express her love. She just wanted to express her worship. She wanted to express her gratitude and offer it out to him. See, the vessel wasn't broken just to be broken. It was broken so that the value inside could be released. Listen, I don't know what you've gone through. I don't know what brokenness you've walked through. I don't know what pieces of your life feel like they're shattered on the floor right now or what part of you feels like you've had to abandon it and let it go. But I want you to know that I really believe, as I do for my life, and I believe it for yours, that there is a bigger purpose, that God wants something more from you in that brokenness. 
I don't think he wants you to just break just to break. I think he wants you to break to expose something deeper in your life. And listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is causing you to break open. Like that happens. Like in the world that we live in where there is pain and there's suffering and there's brokenness, that's ha- that happens. Like we experience those things. But God in the midst of that wants us to like leave that brokenness and stand up and with the vulnerability and with the inside and with the passion and with the heart that we have left, bring that to him and say, God, here's all I have. Will you take it? I want to give it back to you. And that all of a sudden gives purpose to our brokenness where there was otherwise nothing. It gives purpose to the things that we go through. When I came home, people asked me, they're like, Kim, like, are you able to see now like what God was doing, the purpose of what he was having you go through over this last year and, and everything you've walked through? Like, you just see the purpose in that? And I like, wanted, I feel like the good Christian answer would have been like, yes. God is working it all together for good. Amen. I believe that's true, but I didn't I, I don't know what the purpose is still. Except that maybe God is trying to transform something in me and I, and I believe it, it, there is bigger purpose outside of this, but this for me is what I can make sense in this moment. That God's trying to transform something in me to break down walls that I've built around my life and around my heart to protect myself. The things that I have tried to hold on to that I think are the right things for me and that's what's going to make me happy or that's what's going to lead to success or these are the right things. And all of a sudden those broke, like literally when I got off that plane, like in the wheelchair sick with half a paralyzed face, there are two video crews, video cameras, CBC and, and Global News were waiting there for us. And I'm like on national TV being interviewed with no makeup on. <laughs> completely droopy side of my face in a wheelchair, like swollen from steroids that they gave me in the hospital. And I was like, if there ever was a more humbling moment, my 15 seconds of fame was not supposed to look like this. (laughs) Literally, I wonder though, if God is just trying to like, because listen, there is one thing that I know is like, like over the last five years, especially, we've just had like, you know, like just a lot of extra heartbreak and a lot of challenging moments and just like a lot of pain and stuff to work through and and just you know like dealing with diagnosis and just heartache and betrayal and pain and all these different things that you walk through in your life and I do know that I would not be the person that I am today if it wasn't for going through that stuff so I just have to believe that there's got to be a bigger purpose in the things that we walk through see Jesus said that people were gonna whenever the, the story of the good news was preached throughout the world this woman's deed would be remembered and discussed because it wasn't really about her and I started to shift my perspective a little bit and I was like okay God maybe I'm not the center of the universe like maybe this really isn't about me but maybe when people tell a story of your goodness like maybe Maybe there's something that I can do to help point people now towards that. Maybe there's something that I can be a part of in this, in this message that you want to share to the world. Maybe somehow I can join with you and be a part of that story. And this woman, that's what she was. She like joined with Jesus to be a part of his story in that Passion Week leading up to the cross. And I was like, maybe that's just what my life can be. And maybe I'll, I'll, when I speak, I'll just share my story, my experience, and I'll just do my best to point people towards you when strangers come up to me on the street and ask, were you the girl from the news? Were you that person from the internet? I can share a story that somehow points people towards Jesus as my Savior and my Messiah. There's got to be a bigger purpose in the things that we walk through. See, people wouldn't have talked about her if her actions only impacted her. She had impact on others, and that's what it's all about. God wants you to trust him with the parts of your broken, with the parts that your brokenness has exposed. He wants you to trust him with them. Can you stand across the room? Listen, I really, you need to hear me. I really do not believe that God causes pain. I don't think that's who he is. Like, I really, I really don't believe. And if you heard me say that tonight, I just want to, like, correct that. I really don't believe that God causes pain. But I do think that he will use any opportunity in our lives to bring us closer to him. Like, that's why when we sing these songs, what the enemy meant for evil, that God, like, he, he can turn it for good. Because I really believe that when we're, like, broken and when we're struggling and when we feel like, like when, when we're in pain and brokenness, 
that God's saying, hey, I'm right here. I can help you walk through this. I can help you navigate through this. Come to me. I can give you a hope that you're not going to find anywhere else. In me, you can find rest and peace that you're not going to find anywhere else. I'll give you a joy that doesn't make sense to other people as you're walking through these treatments and going through these things. I can give you hope in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. Like God wants, he's just like waiting there with open arms. And I just find myself like, I picture myself as this woman just like walking in, like holding my life in this little alabaster jar and realizing that like God wants the deepest parts of me. He doesn't want me to stay hidden. He wants what's inside. He wants everything that I am. He wants the ugly parts of me. He wants the shame that I carry. He wants the parts of me that feel insecure and don't feel like I'm enough. Like he wants all my fears and my doubts. Like I'm carrying it all inside of me and I'm like, but right now it's in this perfect little bottle. I don't know if I want to expose all that. I don't know if I want him to see everything that's inside. I don't know if I want everybody else at that dinner party to see what's inside. And I picture myself just walking through with this alabaster, but then I see Jesus and I'm like, ugh. But I know he wants all those inner parts. I know he wants everything inside of me. I know he wants all the deepest parts of my soul. And I realize that in order for him to really get what's inside, there might need to be a little bit of breaking that happens. There might be some things that need to be broken off my life. And if I'm not smart enough to figure that out on my own, sometimes I might go through circumstances that'll lead me to that point. So I break that jar and I realize that what he wants is what's inside and the fragrance fills the room because I'm getting closer to giving him everything that he wants. And he's like, Kim, I'm here. Kim, pour it out. Your life can have greater purpose if you just let go of that brokenness and if you pour out everything that's deep within you on me. And I start to just pour out my life on him and say, God, I give it to you. God, I trust you with this. God, will you take it all? And I know that it's not, I've never seen it before. I don't know what it looks like. It feels a little bit scary. I feel exposed. I feel like I'm not really sure what to do next or how to move forward, but God's there. And he's like, yes, you get it. And everybody else around is like, girl's a mess. Get yourself together, Kim. And God's like, no, 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 no. You don't understand what's happening here. You don't understand what's happening here. She's pouring out something on me. Like, I don't care. I got all the put together people in the world don't matter to me. Right now, in this moment, what I want is her brokenness. What I want in this moment is everything that's inside that she's been hiding. What I want right now is everything that's inside of her and it needs to be released. And so he's there and he's smiling and he's grateful for what you have. Listen, I don't know what that looks like for you to let God into those deep inner parts. Maybe for some of you, you feel broken and you just need to figure out how to move past that tonight. Maybe you feel like, yeah, what you described, like I've felt that that hidden place and I know that I need to give that to God. Listen, we're just gonna spend some time in his presence right now. And I want you to just have a conversation with God right now in this moment. I'm gonna invite the ministry team to come. They're just gonna stand along the front here. They're gonna be facing out. And if you'd like prayer tonight, you just want somebody to partner with you. Maybe you feel, like as I'm describing, like that brokenness and that feeling like I, I can't put my life back together. I feel like I can't even move forward. I feel like I'm in this like ransacked apartment, like not knowing what to do. Maybe you feel like that and you just need to step out out of that. Maybe you just want to spend some time just alone with your hands raised in God's presence, just saying, God, I give you my life. God, I give it all to you. I don't want to hold anything back. I don't want to hold anything back from you. I want to give you everything that I am. Listen, this weekend, this is what we're talking about, is exposing the inner parts of yourself, not hiding. Saying to God, okay, here I am. Here I am, God. Here I am. Come and find me. Here I am, exposed, broken right before you, but listen, here I am. Take all of me and letting him do a deep work on your heart. Listen, if you want prayer right now, I just I, I wanna invite you to just come. Find someone who you can pray with. Find someone who can believe with you for what, what you want God to do in your life as you give him everything that you are. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. It would mean the world to us if you would subscribe and leave a review. You can follow us on Instagram at Awakening Moments Podcast, and you will find Lori and I at Lori Eitz Boucher and Rhonda.Corto. We'd love to connect with you.